I'm Laura Vinroot Poole. For over 20 years, I've owned Capital, an internationally recognized specialty store in Charlotte, North Carolina. On this podcast, we unlock the stories of people's lives through the stories of what they wore. These aren't conversations about fashion. These are conversations about people. I'm incredibly inspired by the designers and friends I meet on the road, but I'm most inspired by my talented colleagues at home in our Charlotte office, like our very own Scott Newkirk. Scott generously shares his journey of leaving Mississippi for New York City, his work as a highly regarded fashion stylist for Calvin Klein and Coach, and the personal difficulties he faced, finding himself along the way. We work together in many capacities, but I want you to know that I have known about you for a really long time, way before I met you. You're kidding me. I've known about you for 25 years. Perry, my husband, always said you were the most talented person he ever met in his entire life. Wow. So we've worked together now not long. Four years. Four years. Where are you from? I'm from um, from Mississippi. I was born in Jackson, and then we moved out to a suburb of Jackson, Madison, when I was probably in the third grade, and kind of lived there until I ran off to New York. <laughs> and what was it like growing up in Mississippi in the 60s? I always talk about really loving the time that I grew up because there was this shift from the 20s and 30s. We lived out in this little town called, uh, that was like stepping back in time. I mean, yeah. it still had... The old general store with the Coke machine on the front porch and the mm-hmm. screen door. I mean, nothing had changed. And then like 1970 hit mm-hmm. and there was a junior food mart and, right. and everything started <laughs> changing. But before that, it was really like being, it could have been 1940. Yeah. Music was amazing. I mean, the, just the whole time was great. It was food quiet was out there. Food was amazing. We went to public school for the first couple of years. And then we went um, like half an hour away to a, a private school for couple of years and then back in Madison so this was all during you know integration and all that stuff so that was kind of crazy my mom was a teacher yeah so we went teacher a Spanish teacher and English and kind of whatever else she did you know she at the private school at every school that I went to oh really which was well from uh from third grade on yeah so that was kind of interesting and you're one of three yeah I've got an older brother and where um, are you in the you're the baby I'm in the middle oh you're in the middle It was interesting more really looking back, I think really when I was there, I mean, most of my my thoughts about growing up there are in retrospect because living there was kind of not very interesting and I was <laughs> kind of not really that happy with what was happening and I just kind of wanted to get out of there. I think I always just felt like, you know, I need to go. What part of that? Just because there weren't opportunities to be who you were or work how you wanted to work or, or did you even know? I don't know. I, I never really felt connected to where I lived in a lot of ways. And, you know, my, my folks were really interesting, pretty straightforward people. But were they uh, both from Mississippi? They are. Yeah. My, but my dad grew up in uh, Maryland, went to a boarding school there. His parents divorced. You know, so it was he grew up kind of in the north and then came back for college. And mm-hmm. my mom uh, grew up there. And they always really encouraged us to get out of get out of Mississippi and explore the world, you yeah. know? So I, I don't think that was always in the back of my mind, but I didn't really have any idea what I wanted to do, how I wanted to approach my life at all until, I don't know, really until I dropped out of college. May I ask what it was like being gay in the South and being in, in Mississippi? And did you know your whole life? And did that was that part of wanting to leave and be in New York and have that freedom? Or was it more career driven? 
it was totally career driven. And in fact, it was such a deep, deep suppressed thing for me. I was so, so afraid of, of what that meant. There was no one, there was no lifestyle yeah. to sort of parallel mm -hmm. with to ever be like, okay, that's cool. I could do this, or yeah. this is how so, life So I like. just basically buried that. Yeah. And I was even, you know, Norman, my first roommate, was gay, and obviously he was like, the first day I walked in, he was like, so you're gay? I'm like, no, I swear. <laughs> really? Uh, no, I mean, I, I was completely in denial. Uh, you know, it was six months until I was there, and, and basically I feel like I s started to realize I was finally living in a place where it wasn't an issue, and I right. think that was the biggest thing for me is it freed me in a way that I never had been able to, 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 to live and think and express myself and, and not be afraid of that. And I, I remember that when I, mean, I basically waited until I found somebody who I had a crush on before I was able to say, like, you know, without that, I, there was no reason to come out. Right, you know, right. I needed someone there to, to give it an excuse. And, <laughs> and, and when I did, it was, I'm telling you, I, for two days, I felt like I was floating. There wow. was so much... That I had, that I felt like had been pushed, pushed on down. me for so long. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, living there. I mean, I just always felt uncomfortable. Just this need to leave and figure out, like you know, there's something else. There's something else out there. There's a there's a person inside of me that that I haven't even seen yet or haven't yeah. even discovered yet. Leaving school was the first step of starting to sort of make decisions for myself and and then immediately sort of finding positive results from everything I was right. doing and just getting that constant feedback. Every step I took and then moving to New York and having a job immediately and, you know, just falling, things just like fell into place in, in such a magical way. And not only professionally, but also just, you know, starting to be able to live and to even be able to, to talk about this, this freely, you know, I would have never imagined it at right. one point in my life. And it's pretty liberating and, and joyous to be able to. Yeah. What was it like your first time back to Mississippi when you were that person? You were you were your fully realized I person. Felt fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> Not even because of that, but I was also just the first time I came home. And it was a long time before I did. Yeah. Because my sister was living in Cambridge. Uh -huh. She didn't always go home for Christmas. So I would stay up there with her. So it, it was several years of living in New York before I came home. And so by that time, I was, you know, working in these in these places and, and I had already started to see so much and going out to clubs and just just the whole the richness of my life that I had always maybe dreamed of was, was starting to sort of happen and, and I was feeling it and, and to come back with all of that kind of armor almost like you know of confidence yeah. and experience of of having seen things and done things that I would have never been able to do. I mean, it was it was wonderful actually and and to you know tell stories and see old friends and it was great but I felt really disconnected to it all yeah. and and like I can't wait to get back to New York and yeah. you know and continue my life. Again. Yeah. I didn't come out to my family officially really. My mom came back up there. She started teaching again and spent I think 6 weeks with me while she went to the new school to kind of brush up on teaching again. And, it was only in that time that she was there that I was like, okay, guess in what, the, mom? In New York. In New York. I so didn't want to come home for a weekend and make this yeah. whole weekend about my being gay. It just seemed like a real bore. <laughs> and I didn't want, it, it, was not, it didn't seem like, like that big of a deal. Yeah. So it really yeah. was really finding a, that, that moment that I could actually have a conversation and with my mom. And what did your mom say? She was like, duh. <laughs> Ever since you said you wanted to be an angel when you were in first grade, I knew that, you know, it was, she was no, no surprise. Yeah. All of my family's been amazing and, and, and most people are. Yeah. To a certain degree. Thank goodness. <laughs>
I'm gay. <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, the things that I had oh, you to, been a the things that I had to learn and face and struggle <laughs> with and and overcome, and at a time when and most people just really never have to think about that. Yeah. And, and the way that that matured you, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really grateful for it. I am too. Yeah, it's cool. I'm yep. glad you are you. Thank you. You know, were so. you always interested in fashion or design? You know, or? I I think it was something that was around in my head. I didn't ever think about it as a profession mm-hmm. at all. I was just well, probably because I you didn't clothes. see that opportunity. You know, I, like no, how could you see? There was what, no way. There was no yeah. way at all. Uh, I um, it didn't even dawn on me until I got my first job after I left school. So before that, it was just like, yeah, I like fashion and I like clothes, and you know, I would, I would embarrassingly helped my mother out pick out clothes when I was in like fifth grade and you know <laughs> secretly loved it but where uh, would you shop where was McRae's there? McRae's well obviously McRae's <laughs> you know uh, I mean you know she was a teacher and you know it's not like she was ever gonna wear anything fabulous but it was still she kind of depended on me for it yeah there was this little phase I remember like yeah. that but all the money I made at any job I had went to go shopping at the mall and buy like you know disco jeans i was gonna say what was the thing to buy them in no the 70s? I mean, seriously i was a victim of saturday night fever um and fleetwood mac and that whole that's thing that's not a victim that's i a, mean no i mean a, that was it was a, a it, it was great it was really great but i was all into those embellished jeans and all that stuff and, and they made their way to mississippi like did you they did i can't marry around baby that was okay. that, oh, yeah. that was where i shopped right one of the places i mean I, i've got nothing left from from that time that is even worth talking about but I was not exactly a traditional spirit. In fact, I guess I kind of was trying to buck all of that. I, you know, I, I didn't know what I wanted. I just knew that everything around me was not not it what you at wanted. all. Yeah. And so, had you been to New York as a young person? Never. How did you? No, honestly, okay. it not it did not even cross my mind until about a year before I left. So you went to college for art. A year and a half. No, I just went to college <laughs> for just college. And I didn't do anything when I was there. I mean, I did <laughs> decent uh, my first year, and then my my sophomore year. I think six weeks, not even in, I was just like, I'm out of here. Did your and mother freak out? Not at all. No. So first, I don't know why they were encouraging and that they had any reason to believe I was going to be uh, able to make anything of myself because I'd never <laughs> proven anything like that before. I had no direction at all in, in what I was going to do. And I just walked into this little store that had just opened called Clothiers and Company. It had been open for about a year, I think. It was a really cool, small men's and women's traditional clothing store. And this was 1980, and I did sales. And the moment that job started, and I, I sort of started creating my own world, seeing myself in a, a professional way, I, it was it was the first time I really felt like there was something I, I was able to do really well. And I kind of uh, started really getting involved in the, the doing their windows and the visual merchandising, stuff like that, because nobody really was taking that on and it needed to be done. And it was just like... Natural. It was just, yeah, it was really just instinct. How did you know how windows should look or how how dress forms <sighs> should be? I mean, no, it's, it's totally self-taught and just I, Completely. Innate. I know I remember looking at Gene Meyer's windows at Tiffany's, you know, in books, and that was sort of an inspiration. And also Rubenstein's in New Orleans. I would drive down there and steal ideas and come back. Yeah. And, yeah. But, you know, it really, I how mean. How far from, how far was Three hours. Going? Okay. It was, I mean, the way I always looked at it was just, if some, a little bit of whimsical humor, a little bit of fantasy, you know, there was always just, there was always a little, some kind of little story going on that, that I was trying to do, or just some kind of. It's really simple ideas, but it was a blast. Yeah. I mean, I had never been more creative in my life. I think even then, because I was so naive and didn't know what I was doing, I could take all kinds of risks and 
everything kind of worked. Did you ever take worked. art in school or no? Not I'm, really. Yeah, I mean, I had an art class, but. Interesting. And then how long were you there and how did you well, get Well, so I guess I moved to New York in January of 85, so I was probably four solid years of, of mm -hmm. that work. I sort of left the store and just continued there freelance and d was doing windows for a few different stores and working as a waiter and just kind of having a great time. And then my friend Anne yeah. moved to New York maybe a year before I did. So that sort of got that into my head and I thought, Maybe I should try that. And she was married to our six degrees of separation. Exactly. Mark small McNary, world after all. who's my husband's <laughs> college roommate. Exactly. <laughs> and then so you got to New York and did you, you ha like how much money did you bring? Like, did you bring oh, furniture? Gosh. No, you know, I, I remember I got in the cab and I had a hundred dollar money order or what do you, traveler's <laughs> oh check. Oh my God, yeah, traveler's, traveler's check. check. Oh my God, I love that. And, you know, I'm, I don't think I had any cash. I was in a taxi from the airport with my dad's old Air Force duffel bag, which for some reason have lost, which kills me. But I mean, I probably had three hundred dollars. And what, um, you went to a stay with Anne? No, I actually, I when I first went to New York in in November of eighty four, there was a guy that I I knew who worked in a restaurant mm -hmm. in Jackson and had left and gone there, and he was working for Armani, and so I kind of knew him. And I stayed with him. He introduced me to his boss. Norman was his boss, who was the director of the, of the Armani Boutique, which had been only open for a couple of years. Kind of, I mean, it was he was yeah. the man at the time. Norman needed a roommate. I needed an apartment. Also, Norman introduced me to the folks at Barney's. I interviewed while I was there in November. They hired me when I was came back in January, so I had a job. And did you about die when you saw the windows at Barney's after doing those windows in Jackson and realized I mean, how is this really happening? I never really thought about it. I just kind of just did it. You know, I yeah. really, I just. But just that somebody was doing the windows the way you were thinking about them. God, yeah. Such a, I mean, it was it, on such a different scale. I mean, it, it was kind of a fantasy come to life. And, you know, and, and Barney's was. And you worked in the visual merchandising yeah. in the windows with, with Simon Doonan? Uh, eventually. Uh, there was someone before that who had been there for years, Guy Scarangello. Uh -huh. and, and he was the one that hired me originally. Simon came along later, but I only was there for about a year and a half. And then I started doing freelance work. And but freelance work doing I what? did, uh, I did a windows for Bendel's and I did a little bit more freelance there. And then I was also just, you know, Armani I was working at, uh, I would go in there pretty much every day, kind of take care of the store at the end of the day. And so I was visual, just, visual merchandising, mm -hmm. like redoing so I would the, do the windows. Yeah, so, so six months after I moved in with Norman, they eventually hired me to work there as well. So I was, at the end of the day at Barney's, I would take the subway uptown and, <laughs> and spend a couple hours at, at, at Armani and kind of do all that. So it was pretty amazing. I mean, I mean, you know, the thing that was so crazy about Barney's, it was just the first time I'd ever seen these clothes that I had seen in Interview Magazine. And, right. <laughs> you know, it was like, you know, Gautier and Alaya and, <laughs> and, you know, these things that I didn't even know how to pronounce. And, yeah. you know, you could actually, I mean, the thing that was so amazing about the work that we did, we were really kind of behind the scenes all the time. So, and we were the ones, I mean, I really focused less on windows. I was more into putting clothes on the mannequins and really basically the beginning of being a stylist and without even knowing it. And and that didn't really exist then. I mean, you probably were the, you probably created the whole idea. I mean, I, I didn't, but there very, weren't very many of them. I mean, it seems like, I mean, they were magazine editors, but the term stylist just wasn't something you heard about that much. And, and explain what that is and what, what, well, you would, what that. For me in the time that I was doing it. And I always, I remember for so many years I had to correct everyone. No, I'm not a hairstylist. <laughs> You have good hair, though. I can see why they would think that. <laughs> when you think about an advertising image, there are five characters involved 
you've got an art director, a hair person, a makeup person, a model, a photographer, and a stylist. So that's actually six. Whatever is in the world of the clothes I'm responsible for. So it's it's and making art director it look. Is the, scene, the actual place, and stylist is the actual clothes. Exactly. So it's it's you know if you if you're shooting for a company that has their own clothes, then you're just making those clothes look great. If you're shooting a, for a company that doesn't make clothes, then you're pulling clothes together to enhance whatever the product mm -hmm. is that you're shooting. So trying to make it look as messy or neat or whatever as, as it might need to be. It's a lot of tugging and pulling. And, and you amazing. also, it was a beginning, you worked with brands like Calvin Klein and J. Crew and Coach. And yeah. in the 80s, that the beginning of in the Yeah, really... so I started doing that in probably 87. I was working for Robert Ruffino, who was, uh, had just started working as a stylist. And I, I met him at, at Bendel's. We became friends. I became his assistant. And we worked for, together for three years. And we were doing editorial for mostly New York Times Magazine, home design, men's and women's fashion. So, I mean, I didn't even realize how much prestige that had. And, you know, everybody opened the door to us. I mean, I was, I was 26 years old or something, <laughs> you know, and which sounds old to some degree, but I felt like really a kid, you know. Yeah. What's your favorite project you remember working on at that time? I loved doing shows. Calvin Klein, I mean, that was pretty incredible. And that's you, like, actually putting, like, tying a sweater around the waist? So, that's, I, I mean, I, mean, I started doing... what goes with what? The first job I did with them was their first men's collection that they were reintroducing. John Barbados was the designer. Uh -huh. I walked into this gigantic room with... It seemed like thousands of pieces of clothing. At home. And I was and not John the, there. John was there. Uh -huh. Tani was there. Yeah. She was the fashion director at the time. I was just a freelance person that they brought in because they had, they had a woman that had worked at Armani had moved over there and to, to head up PR and called me in. She said, Calvin doesn't like the mannequins. Can you come in and change them? So I was like, sure. So I went up there, spent a couple hours one afternoon did they, they called look amazing? me the next day. I don't know. They just were <laughs> they what like, they were. And, and, and they're like, he wants to do a world on the show. I was like, okay, sure. I, you know, whatever that means. I mean, it was. Good. Like, are you nervous when you went to sleep that night? Or are you like. I don't yeah. remember being nervous. I mean, I, I really feel like I just walked blindly through this whole thing. And just, you know. <laughs> uh, but it was pretty impressive to when he walked into the room the very first time. I mean. And uh, he it walked in presence. and saw what you had styled? Uh, eventually. I mean, basically. So the whole process is you've got to. You've got all these clothes and you've got to create a point of view. Yeah. And really there wasn't anybody telling me what to do and what not to do and or how to do it. Uh -huh. And and I had done things before, but that was on such a different level So it's because there was so much to tr sort of consider. So you really just start by pulling out the things that you like and putting them on a rack and, you know, putting clothes together. And so you're basically putting all the looks together. You're putting them on, um, on, on a model, photographing it, documenting it, editing it, looking at models for the show, then selecting models, doing fittings. I mean, it's that whole process. And is there input from John, like John saying like, sure. I don't like that. that yeah. But terrible. he wasn't really like that. I mean, really? you know, uh, I, mean, I think it's so interesting that the artist essentially would be able to give up their art for you to mess with. I don't know if I could do it. <laughs> I don't think I but, could do it. But, you know, they did, and and, and I don't know, uh, somehow. And then Calvin comes in and says, yes, no? This looks great. I don't like it. I mean, yeah, I mean, he was pretty much yes to, it was it was pretty cool. It was pretty successful. It was pretty, it was pretty <laughs> cool. I mean, and, you know, there was a time, at, at a point during that whole thing, it was as if he, he wouldn't make any decision unless I looked at it, and, and I, it was like, okay, great, this is pretty crazy. He would drive me home. We both lived on the Upper West Side. I'd go home. Uh, his driver would take us both back to each house in the back of his Mercedes. It was like, what is going on? <laughs> You're 26 years old. Like, you know, I was a little uh... bit older at that point, but it, it was it was crazy. I mean, this was 
1993, grunge had just happened. The the birth of the of the wave. I mean, Kate's first few days, you know, to to be involved with that. That was magical. That yeah. place. But shows in general are a lot of fun because you're in and out of it within ten days. Right. And and there's a result. The, the excitement is incredible. Who was your favorite person to style? I styled David Bowie from Details. I almost forgot about that. Oh my gosh! Can you believe it? No, seriously. <laughs> there, it's it's so many years of it, really. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know if I can tell you a favorite. I mean, what I really enjoyed was I, I loved the work that I did with Coach, which was for like 14 years. And even though it was sort of a middle of the road brand, I had so much freedom to do whatever I wanted there. And yeah. so there was a lot of pleasure in, in the work there because I, it was to like, elevate it. I mean, they, unlimited budget. <laughs> I basically had to create a miniature clothing collection for every photo shoot. Wow. So I would basically shop at, 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 you know, Barney's and Bergdorf's and pull shapes Uh of pieces um, because you're always working off season. So there's never exactly what you want. It's all about color and all this stuff. And so I would pull a couple of rolling racks full of shapes, kind of go through there and kind of, in my mind, imagine outfits. But then I'd spend two days in fabric stores and all that had to be done. Within three days, I had to basically figure out, you know, what would be, you know, 30 shots and get them to tailors to get them everything made within wow. a week. That was pretty fun. Yeah. Plus renting, you know, lots of great vintage stuff. I mean, it, it was. Yeah. It was it was really fun because I I started to kind of really create a point of view for how that looked, and and that was really fun to sort of see that reveal itself over those years of working there, and 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 working with Reed was incredible because he was he was really generous with me and. So talented. Let me do just kind of whatever I wanted to, which is great. Wow. One of my favorite things that you did at that time, too, was build a house with your own hands. <laughs> I built it with my own, my own hands in my mind. Um, <laughs> you know, I couldn't build a house. I could build a, a You did a lot a of it yourself. You, your house is on the cover of a book called Cabin, Every, cabin Porn. Uh, exactly. <laughs> right. But it's, it's a really famous house. It is actually more famous than I'll ever be. And it's actually, <laughs> it's pretty incredible. You know, I bought this property upstate in like 2000. It was like 50 acres on, on this brook. And I just, I put up this little sort of tent cabin thing on, on a deck. It ended up burning after the first couple of years or something. Left a candle burning, you know, me. <laughs> but it really, you know, two weeks later, I had sort of sketched out this other house that had been inspired by this old book called handmade houses it took three years to get that thing built i mean it was ridiculous because there's no power there's no water it was not a job anybody wanted to do but i mean it was pretty it's it's pretty magical pretty magical very magical i just got in touch with the guy that bought it from me and yesterday saying i was going up there because i'm I'm going up there for the first time in like seven years and and i'm gonna check it out i haven't even read his message but um what's that gonna be like probably bittersweet and 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 lovely he's done he's done everything that i would have done had i kept it i mean he's built his own place he's other people have built houses on the property i mean it's pretty cool what he's done i'm kind of interested to see it but he's he's kept that place fairly intact still refers to it as scott's cabin yeah pretty generous of him and so then and you move and i think it does work in tandem but you sort of moved into interiors more or it's always sort of been in my personal life and you know uh it's always been something that is extremely important to me is really living in an environment that I can create that just has a, that reflects just my past, everything that I want to know about, everything that I'm afraid of, mm-hmm. everything that I've fallen in love with. And, Which are and sometimes the same things. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, I've always just needed to kind of come home to a place that I could sort of reflect on and, and feel like, wow, mm-hmm. this is mine. 
this is my place, this is my home. So that's always been important. So, you know, there's always been an interest there. I mean, there, I didn't, I don't know how to do anything else except for sort of create a beautiful space and, you know, put some clothes on and, and, and really that's it. So it's, it, you know, and that's not to talk it down, but that's, that's what I do, yeah. you know? But, I think you, uh, you're, you're also like a fixer. Like I, I think just, <laughs> I mean, I think we're all troubleshooters and, and problem solvers. And when I moved to Brooklyn, which was the last four years. Uh, and that was a firehouse. It was you... an old firehouse built in the 1800s and it was massive. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it was incredible. I mean, it was really a great way to, to sort of sign off to New York, to spend some time yeah. in that, in that place and create a space that really was everything I'd kind of wanted to live around and be around. It was fun. It was just a way to really, it, I, I always treated it like a, a little bit of a, a laboratory for me to sort of, play around with ideas and I didn't care if they were good or bad and none of it mattered because it was just, you know, sort of a, a place to experiment with, with and, things that I'm thinking about. And tell me about leaving New York. You know, I think I still haven't even mourned it at this point. I think <laughs> I do just in little bits and pieces. You know, I... You were there 30 years? I was there almost 30 years. So I guess in uh, March of 2013, my work changed. I was really kind of I'd be, I've been tired of being a stylist for many years. And I would say every five years, it's the last year I'm going to do this. <laughs> and at this point, I was... But you just make too much money doing it. You know, and, and, it, and it was, you know, I, of course, you, you you look back and you think, God, I had, I had it so good. And I <laughs> didn't have to work every day. And, you know, all this stuff that you, you know, take for granted. And I really lived in this, you know, as many of us did, this sort of privileged bubble mm -hmm. that doesn't even really exist anymore. It doesn't anymore. exist anymore, yeah. It, at all. I just have been a bit of an adventure seeker in my life. And I think I just, I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I, I don't know what I want to do, but I know just like when I was quit college, I didn't want to be there. I didn't know what I wanted to be, but I knew that, that if wasn't... I left... I could figure it out. You would, yeah, you'd find it. So I just needed to get out of there, and so I went. I went home. My dad has been not doing well for many years, for five, six years. And at the time I left, I thought it, it was he was going to pass away in the next month or two or three or whatever. So I was like, let me go home. Let me reconnect with my family. Let me clear my head. Let me just sort of see what kind of comes to the surface, and and uh, something's going to present itself to me, and I will move on to the next place in my life. And Perry called after 25 years and uh, it's like, what are you doing? I was like, nothing. And I started kind of coming back and forth here, which was, you know, just who would have thought? Who would have thought? Would have thought? And you, you've described New York as sort of an addiction. like Oh my God, completely. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's everything about it. I love, you know, and, and I think because I, I grew up in, I, I, I really did grow up there in a way. Um, yeah. And in such an incredible time for New York and that, that's not there now. That's either. not there now, no. and and so so much of my my loss for what's there is just you know it's it's all sentimental sentimental and and you know I think if I ever were to go back it wouldn't be what it, what it was mm -hmm. and even when I do go back I'm sort of almost feel like a stranger which is really mm -hmm. weird it was like first time that really happened I think the last trip we were in New York I was just like I feel like I don't know anybody anymore <laughs> which was weird because I knew everybody I knew yeah. you know everybody yeah. it felt like you know i knew every parking lot attendant because i drove <laughs> and, and you know i mean it was funny the connection that you you have with, with it and it's such a place that you because you walk everywhere it really is a small place and and, yeah. and my work required me to be everywhere all the time so i just i felt really really connected to so many parts of it and and it just the the, the culture that you're just living among all the time i don't know the people you talk to every day and and it was just this 
vital creative existence that I don't think I'll ever find anywhere else. It's it's just you know. So I miss that. I miss that very much. Um, and it's hard to replace it. I mean, I, I didn't have to. I didn't have to work to learn anything. Yeah. It just was. I was yeah, just being yeah. informed all the time. Right. And there's something so uh, addictive about that. Mm. Just to be sort of a, a, always consciously aware of things that are happening all around the world and they're happening, you know, a block away from me. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was, it's pretty cool. Mm. So you are now developing private label suiting for yes, the are. men's store. And so, and what's that like too, to move away from interiors and back into fashion and you, know, you, you can um, never get too far away from fashion. It's the longest relationship I've had with anything. <laughs> <laughs> and it's been really good to me. And it's it's just, it's what I know. What what sparked the idea? Why? why? If we can't find it, let's make it. Yeah. It was that kind of thing. I, I feel like there was a lack of, of real tailored clothing at the store. From all the vendors that we worked with, there was just nothing, even for myself. I mean, I, I really sort of look at myself as a, a kind of possible typical customer to some degree. And I think I just want a beautiful jacket. I just want to feel like a, a gentleman today. And, and, and we don't really have that. And yeah. we, it's funny. And, and, and I, and I, and I, and I, so, so that was one of the things. And, and just to feel like we had something that was ours and that we were seeing through our eyes and, and interpreting. So it's been fun developing that. I mean, it's, and how'd uh, you find the manufacturer? Mark, I think mentioned that to us, McNary. Mark McNary uh, yeah. He, he suggested them. I think we have known about them. I think, you know, Perry was aware of them. Southwick. Southwick. And they're based? In uh, right outside of Boston. Okay. Yeah. And how long have they been? Oh, gosh. Since like the 40s. Wow. Long time. And um, when you got there, you could just tell? Like you connected to it immediately? Yeah. The attention to the detail and, and the, the, the number of times that, that things get inspected and for fit and construction and all that. It was, it was really impressive. And they had a, a pretty great selection of fabrics that we could work from. I'd like to expand on that. You know, we sort of. So what did you season. produce? What's the, what are the first? We have got um, two suits and four jackets, a gray flannel suit, a navy sort of tropical wool pretty. suit. That's great. And then four different, di different tweeds with two different models. So there's a sack jacket and then there's a, something that's a little bit more tailored. And, you know, I think it's, it's a, it looks beautiful together. It's a lot of variety and it's a lot of fun. You're excited about I'm it? I'm very excited about it. <laughs> I've just, I've kind of been spending the last week sort of thinking about, you know, how we're going to approach promoting it and, you know, giving a stab at naming the yeah. models and yeah. things like that, which is a lot of fun. So, yeah. It's, and you're it's also great. the buyer. Yes. And what's that like? Familiar territory in some way. I mean, I feel really lucky because I, I, I really kind of, my role uh, in that is in a way more on the creative side yeah. and less technical. But, you know, it, it also, I'm coming to that role with, you know, a lot of experience being yeah. in, in the world of, 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 of menswear as well as women's. And so there is something really instinctual and references that I think a lot of people probably don't have mm. that are involved in the store that could be doing that. And so I feel certainly qualified to a certain degree, even though I don't know what I'm doing. Every time I'm sort of learning, but I think I'm also learning that every time, every season is different from the next and, and you're <laughs> going to constantly be thinking, uh, I, know, well, I could have done start, better. Yes. Well, and also I start every, you know, every market. Mm-hmm. That night before, I panic and think, 
oh my god what if i don't have taste what if i don't know what i'm doing <laughs> i know and and then and you re- i really do i mean i've done it for 20 21 years and then you get to that first appointment and you know all of the things like you know exactly yeah how you feel about exactly i mean it's kind of immediate reaction i mean it's some, sometimes it's really easy to get swept up in in mm-hmm. sort of these people's moments that yeah. really isn't yours especially in the beginning you're just a little bit too giddy about it all but you know you settle into it and my first appointment in paris always is dries which is you know oh, so overwhelming so overwhelming but it's also so, so much fun and it's a real test to your editing process and, yeah. and i come out of that appointment and I feel like, okay, I'm ready for whatever hits me. Yeah. You know, I can handle <laughs> which, that. I can handle anything. Which, by the way, I think being a stylist really is being an editor. Completely. I mean. And being a buyer is 100% being an editor. You know, and, and you know, it's, it's, it's just funny how so many of the different things that I have done over these years all sort of play into each other. And, um, you know, the work that I did at Barney's dressing mannequins was a testing ground for becoming a stylist. And the shopping for the job they did for a stylist is, is the editing process of, of buying for, you know, I mean, it all is all kind mm-hmm. of connected. And so I say I'm not qualified, but, or, or don't know what I'm doing, but, but, uh, you know, I'm just doing it through different, a different venue in some way. So yeah. it's, it is all connected. Scott. Yes, dear. We asked people what they wore to prom. Oh gosh. Well, <laughs> I've got pictures. I actually do. It's hard to believe. I well, I had two of them. <laughs> 11th and 12th grade. Look at you. I, I guess every, <laughs> how many it was, people it was in your junior class, senior. by the way? 44. 44 people yeah. in your class. Yeah. So it was so it was you were juniors were invited. I mean, exactly. They had to because it yeah. would have been. Like Otherwise, a... there's gonna be 10 people there. <laughs> yeah. So That's the hilarious. the first year it was 1977. So of course I wore baby Light blue tux. Blue, you know, obviously. matched my my yeah of course the whole thing yeah you know dark blue bow tie velvet bow tie oh really all that stuff velvet yeah. bow tie I don't know that I remember that yeah. What color shoes does one wear with that? I think they're shiny black ones that just come with it. Okay, you know? okay. <laughs> and then I wore... And did you go to Jackson to get that? Like, I did. did I went to the mall. I can't, in fact, <laughs> I can't remember what the name of that shop was, but it was at Jackson Mall and or Metro Center or something. And okay. It was a tuxedo shop. Right. You know. And then the next year, I went for a pale gray with yellow, with like what? butter yellow. So it was a gray tuxedo with a yellow shirt and... Did these match your dates, dresses? Like, was this a... Yes. Okay, always? Yes. I mean, this is something you talk about before. I guess so, because (laughs) my first date, Perry Ann... She um, was like, I really want you to wear like blue. She wore this little, like, white kind of kind of peasanty thing. Cool. With these beautiful little pale blue and pink embroidered flowers on this thing that fell over the top. It was really pretty. Oh, how pretty. And then Bonnie, who was like Farah. Was was uh, wore this sort of yellow spaghetti strap slinky I love that. sexy dress and so that was there there was that yellow so I guess I guess we obviously did talk that's yeah. really cool so it was funny don't have photographs of that though you don't have I've both. got a Polaroid of myself in 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 the blue tux I've seen it somewhere which is kind of crazy <laughs> I look like a a, a vampire <laughs> anyway do you think blue tuxes will come back didn't Gucci do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe I mean, yeah, I, I hope me. that they don't because I really, it was a moment that we don't need to really go back to. <laughs> Thank you, Scott. You're welcome. It was great. What We Wore is produced by Capital and Balto Creative Media. The original song, Someone So Enchanting, was composed and performed by Britt Drazda.
What We Wore is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com.